months, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with the accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. All right. Before I begin this morning, I want to take a moment and just pray with you that God would uh, teach us something from this passage in Luke chapter 12. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this day. I thank you that we are here. I thank you, Lord, for all that are present. I thank you for your word. God, I would ask now that you would bless this time that we have together as we look at your word. I pray that you guide and direct my my words as I speak and the conversation that we have and the thoughts that we think. Lord, I pray that you would uh, through all of this, I pray that your spirit would be a present reality teaching us, Lord, from these things that are true. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if somebody could hit the lights, I'd appreciate that. A little bit too gloomy. gloomy. Um, <clears throat> before I dig into this passage, I want to take a minute here and I want to talk about just an idea, Okay. Now, this idea that I want to talk about is a word that you've heard. It's a very religious term that you've probably heard. It's the word saved, okay? I'm going to talk about how the Bible talks about that. I think it's important that we lay out some groundwork on this concept before we dig into the passage for this week. Now, my hope is that what I share with you this morning by way of introduction, I hope that for some of you it will cause confusion, not, not really, but kind of, okay? I think that there's some thoughts that people have about this concept of salvation that causes confusion when they go to read the Word and they don't know what to do with what the Word has for them today. And so I think it's important to think through this concept of salvation and what it means to be saved. What does it mean to be saved regularly? And what does it mean to be saved in the future? Okay? The Bible uses that word in all three ways. You have been saved, you're being saved, and you're going to be saved. Okay? It's very important. We usually use it all in the past tense, do we not? I got saved, and that's it. I think it's important to think biblically about this word, because I think it will play a role in how we respond to his word. Okay, So when I say I hope it causes confusion, I don't really hope it confuses you, but I do hope that if you have a set in your mind, I only think about saved in this one way, I hope that it stirs up some additional thoughts that are biblical thoughts. I think it's important sometimes to be tearing down wrong understandings and replacing them with right understandings of what the Word teaches. Uh, I think as well we have... Ask the pastors, talk with the pastors afterwards, stump the pastors. I know some of you, that's your plan. <laughs> Don't even say, think that it's not. Um, I hope that in that, there may even be from this passage today and these texts that we look at, some thoughts stirred up where you go, I got some questions about this. Okay, Let's start with how we usually think about the word saved. And then we'll get back to Luke. Okay, We're not abandoning Luke. 
We're going to go right back into Luke, but I think it's important to think through some of these things. So I've got several passages here that I'm going to give you. I hope that you hear them, chew on them, let's think about them. This is one actually that Paul, last week at the end of the message, he got up and did a benediction and he shared this passage. I think it was last week that you did this, uh, shared this passage. This is one that's very common. I think a lot of people know this one. Uh, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. They also know Romans 10, 13. comes right after this. Paul the Apostle is speaking. He says, because if you confess with your mouth, right, outward, something you're doing, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, so there's something inward, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, okay? For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth... One confesses and is saved. So there's, you see the outward and the inward going on in this passage? There's something happening outward. What does the outward part look like? I know this is going to, some of you are not used to this, but let's do this. Uh, what, what does the outward part look like in this, this text? What's happening outwardly? Confession, right? They're saying something, right? Something was said out loud. The inward part, maybe if you summarize that with a word or a couple words, what would, what's the inward part right here? Belief, right? You're believing. Believing something, that belief is expressed outwardly. Okay? So salvation is very much, I think, we can think of salvation many times as something that happened. That moment. Some of you remember that time. Some of you go, I don't know when it happened. (laughs) And that's okay, too. We'll get to that. But there's some of you, that you remember the specific moment where you're like totally opposed, and then something happened, and you went, and you... That word confess means to say to agree with or to say the same thing as con together fess right you're saying the same thing as God and it, you you just said it maybe it took a lot of different forms some of you were like I'm a sinner and then maybe some of you went that next step went save me God please save me and some of you know that specific moment where that happened some of you it wasn't quite that moment and wasn't quite as drastic as that, at least from the outward perspective, but I think it's an important moment that ought to happen in our lives. But now let's look at the inward because some of you go, I don't know what happened. I went from here and then suddenly was here. The Bible actually addresses that inward part as well. One of my favorite passages of scripture, and I encourage you to really dig into it sometime, is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 deals with salvation in a way that's what's happening inside of a person at that moment of genuine salvation before God. What happened? Ephesians chapter 2 starts off describing our state. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead. Okay? Again, some of you know this so clearly because that's like you go, that is exactly what it was like for me. I was totally dead spiritually and something happened and then I was like, Lord, save me. Five minutes earlier, I was like, I hate you, God. And five minutes later, I was like, Lord, save me. And some of you, it was that drastic. And I think that Ephesians, Paul talks about this in a way that I think is illustrating what what was going on behind the scenes or pull back the curtains, so to speak, and see what was happening. You see this. Even though we were dead, it turns to this point in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where it says, But God, being rich in mercy, in other words, and that, that being rich in mercy is in context with the fact that so far in this chapter, this person that Paul's talking about, this generic person, has done nothing for salvation or even sought it. 
right? And Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, and here it is, listen to what this text says, made us alive together with Christ. You were dead, then you're alive. I love the picture, and notice it says, by grace you have been saved. In fact, what he goes on to next is that if it wasn't this way, it wouldn't be grace at all. If it was depending on you, then it's not God's grace that saved you. That's where his argument goes next. But I always picture this like Lazarus in the tomb. There's an outward, then is there in, there's an inward thing that happens in Lazarus, is there not? You guys know the story of Lazarus? He was dead. He wasn't kind of dead. He wasn't mostly dead. For those of you who know the Princess Bride, he wasn't mostly dead. He was dead, okay? He was in a tomb. He'd been that way for more than three days, dead. Jesus comes, and Jesus does something that you can hear outwardly. What's he do? He walks up, and he says, Lazarus, come out. Now, for Lazarus to obey that command, could Lazarus even obey that command? If he's dead, no. Something had to happen in Lazarus in order for him to even obey that command. And then to really get your head loopy is to think about, well, well, what if he would have heard that command? What if God would have done what he needed to do and then he wouldn't have obeyed the command? And I want to say, I think he would have obeyed the command because that's what he was now. He was a live person. Live people don't stay in tombs. Live people do what? They go, why am I in this tomb? I got to get out of here. So his very nature changed. He changed from the nature of a dead person rotting to the nature of a live person living. And then that command was able to be obeyed and then was obeyed because of a nature change in him. I think that that illustrates so much of when we're trying to figure out what is this salvation thing. And some of you, again, some of you know this so clearly. Some of you, I know it's okay. It's, it's a little bit hazy as to when this happened. Especially if you grew up in church or grew up in the faith, finding that specific moment where that happened is hard to pinpoint sometimes. Some of you know it so clearly because you had nothing to do with God. And you, you, you hear a passage like this and you go, man, I remember that. I was dead, now I'm alive. Some of you acknowledge it in different ways. You go, but by the grace of God, so would, I would be the same way I was then. And you know it was God did something in you. But notice again, we're, we're, te- we're dealing with, we're trying to think about, I want to lay out a picture of what is going on in a human being when they get saved. Now, let me hit my next one. Ephesians chapter 1. There's something else that happens inwardly. Because the question then arises for me, and I hope for you, is how do I know Or to sound like an old-timey pastor, how do I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? Right? How do I know? Okay? Let's look at Ephesians. I'm going to deal with an inward element as well. Oh, did I not go to this one yet? Do I have it again? I know, but I want to make sure I have the right one. Yeah, I do have the right one. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. So we're going back to Ephesians chapter 1. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, okay, so you get some outward stuff happening here, right? You heard this word of truth. There's this moment. You heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation. 
not just in general, but specifically to you. You heard the good news that salvation was possible for you and believed. And so then that moment, and then you believed. Now, Paul deals with later, why in the world you would do that, right? You were dead, but then you became alive in that moment. And just all wrapped up in together, there's this moment of salvation where you believe. But listen to this, this important part. When that happened, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So the possession of it, the full possession of this salvation happens after death when we're given a new body as well in eternity. So in the meantime, so we're stuck here in this meantime. So let my platform represent the meantime, right, where you were dead. You, you, you're made alive in Christ, believed in him, all of that. And you go, I don't, I don't quite understand how which... What came first, the, 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 the cart or the, the horse or the... Don't worry about that for just a moment. Just know that that moment, there's, there's a quickening and enlivening that God does, and that belief is connected right with it, okay? And I'd love to talk about that some more. In fact, if you've got questions about that, that'd be, that'd be a great one for our Ask the Pastors later. But here's the thing. We're stuck in this meantime. So what's the guarantee? What... Not guarantee, not in the sense of I got a warranty, but guarantee in the sense of sometimes somebody gives you something as a guarantee so that you go, well, how do I know this is all going to pan out in the end? I mean, if I make this decision, I'm believing in Christ, and that starts to affect my life, what I end up doing and how I'm obeying, what happens? I mean, how, well, how do I know for sure that this is all going to play out in the end? And God says, the guarantee that I've given you is the Spirit of God in you. Now, what's interesting about this, again, is there's an inward there and there's an outward. There's an inward part of that, isn't there? Could you, can anybody see physically the Holy Spirit at this exact moment? If you can, I'm going to freak out a little bit. But I, I can't see him and me directly. But if that spirit, as Paul talks about later in Romans... If that spirit that raised up Christ from the dead is at work in you, you ought to expect something in relation to that. Right? I mean, the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is inside you. You ought to be different. And this is why I love the fact that the guarantee is, is something visible. Some of you know this very, very well. You sit there and you look at your life. Some of you that look at your life, you go, who am I? Like, I, this isn't me. Like, every time you do something good, you're like, where'd that come from? That's the Spirit of God. I wish some of you could travel back in time and know me in high school. Not really. I, let's forget those years. <laughs> Some of them did know me in high school. Uh, if you knew me in high school and then knew me now, you'd go, you're not the same person. I have weird moments like that when I'm up here preaching. Like, you don't forget who you were. You know what I'm saying? And you're sitting there like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> How did I get up here? This is ridiculous. To, to, I mean, I, even down to little things like 
talking in front of people. When I first went to college, the first class that I almost failed was speech. To get up in front of people and talk to people was horrifying to me. I didn't want anything to do with that. Engineering major, let's be behind the scenes, right? I stand up here and I go, for me, the guarantee is the spirit of God. How do I detect the spirit of God? One way of many is what's happening right now. Does that make sense? The same is true of you. When you find at work in yourself the, 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 the desire, the, the striving to do what God calls you to do in and over and against all that you are, and sometimes it feels that way, does it not? All that I am is screaming against doing the good, but then at the same time I find in myself there's something else at work in me that's driving me on to do what God has called me to do, and I go, what is that? That's to be expected in a person who is a Christian. The Spirit of God is in you. You're still in the flesh, but the Spirit of God is in you. And so one of the ways that we can sit there and go, how do I know that I know that I know is because these things are being worked out in us. Let me share a few more. I hope I'm painting a good picture for you. Um, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 3 to chapter 5, there's a lot of discussion of the legal side of salvation. I'm not going to get into all of it right now, but there's a legal side of salvation. The fact that you're guilty before God, but God is going to let you into and, and let you off of your punishment, but let you in. God is not big grandpa that's like, oh, shucks, don't worry about it, kids. That's not God, okay? God is a righteous judge, and aren't you glad that there's a righteous judge of the universe? I'm glad and I'm sad at the same time because I'm glad that there's a righteous judge of the universe that one day is going to set everything straight, but that's scary because I know that I'm guilty. And God does not just go, oh, I'm going to let you off. In fact, if there's a judge in this town, in fact, some of you get ticked off when this happens. If there's somebody that commits a crime and there's a judge in this town goes, you know what, I'm just going to let you off. There's some of you who be like, no, you can't do that. They committed a crime. Where's justice? And God is not a bad judge. Justice must be, will be served. And that is the glorious reality of history that it was in Christ. Christ says, I will take the full penalty of all of your crimes and all of your sin upon myself. Take that. Bear the wrath of God. And you will be let in to heaven, not by works that you have done, but by what he has done. And the acceptance into it is demonstrated simply in you believing and having faith in Christ and say, I'm trusting him for my salvation. And so Romans chapter four, right in the middle of all of this, Paul brings about the point that that's actually how it always was. Some of you go, well, God was different in the Old Testament. No, he wasn't. And that's what Paul does. He says, I, in fact, I, he goes back and says, I want to show you that that's how it was all along. Romans chapter 4, he says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. By what? Faith. Okay? Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So if you're led into heaven, in other words, Paul says, by, by what you're doing, then that's, that's a wage. You earned it. 
And that's not how it works. And that's not how it worked back then is what Paul's saying. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. The faith is credited to him as righteousness. And what Paul expands on, and I don't have time to get into today, right in this time, or we'll be here all day, is the reality that God has worked all that out. And I love, I just love digging into Romans. I love digging into Galatians and some of these passages that work it out, that it actually makes sense. God's justice, his righteousness, but his mercy, and they all met together in this person named Jesus. But don't miss here, again, the working is not to get salvation. It comes through faith, this justification. And then God talks about the fact that he does work this out. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. There's that justification. Those he justifies, he also glorifies. There's this process that we're in the middle of, in the midst of this. This, just, this moment of justification where God makes us life, but we are also declared righteous legally. There's so many things that happen at that moment. But it's being worked out, and eventually it's going to be completely worked out at the very end, in, sal- in our full salvation, which is why the Bible talks about it. You have been saved. You're being saved. You will be saved from the wrath of God. It's going to be carried out to completion. Now, let's go. Let's flip and flop back and forth. You ready for this? Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only my presence, but much more my absence. This is Paul talking. And he's saying, not just when I'm around, guys, keep at it, <laughs> right? Not just when I'm there. Not just when the pastor's there, should you be being good. That's what Paul's saying. Not in my presence, but much more in my absence. And he says this, and I love this, because we start to see this in-between balance played out. What does it say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But didn't he, wasn't he just talking about in Romans that it's not by the works, right? But then yet he says here, there's something else at play. And I think it goes back to what he talks about in Ephesians. The spirit of God is working in us. And then you see it here, both sides of it. I love this passage because you see both sides of it. Work it out. And I will say, some of you know this feeling as well. Your salvation that God is doing in you, it still feels like blood, sweat, and tears some days, does it not? striving to do what God wants you to do, working, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like I, it, it, and it's, it's amazing how many places in the Bible talk about this salvation thing. Like, man, you've got to keep at it because if you don't keep at it, you're gonna, it's, it's, it's over. You're not in it. You're like, well, well, wait a minute. I thought this, but what about? And so we're working it out with fear and trembling. But then the hope is what? Because it's God who's working in you. And all true Christians eventually get to this point of understanding where they, they recognize this. They're like, man, I'm working so hard for the Lord. But every single time you do something good, like, man, that's all him. Right? That's God working in me. I mean, it feels like work. But you know who's working. It's him. And the spirit that raised up Christ and there is at work in you. And so there's this weird thing that's going on in this middle time. And so he says, do both. First Corinthians, another place that talks about a version of this, he says, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But listen, but to us who are being saved, 
And this is where I'm going with this, and this is why I'm going here. Because what about, so, so and this is the thing. So person gets saved. In God's economy, they've been saved, they've been declared righteous. They're stuck between here and the end, and they're coming to church on Sunday. And the pastor's preaching about salvation. Does that mean you just go, well, that's not right. I'm already there. I got that one. I'm good. In fact, I should just go home. I don't want to throw my son Samuel under the bus, but one of the things that he used to do that used to crack me up, <laughs> I can remember when he started playing basketball, and Lord love him. He was not the best. Better than me, so I can't say him too much. Um, we, we, we talked to him once, and I think the same thing happened with soccer one time. We're like, hey, would you like to go to a basketball camp? so you can? Basically, I'm thinking as a dad, you stink. You, you, need, <laughs> you need to get better at this. Like, uh, you need to go to a basketball camp to learn some skills. And he, he said to me, oh, man, I, I, I'm throwing him under the bus totally right now. He, he was like, well, I don't know why I would. I mean, I already know everything you need to know about it. And I'm like, oh, boy, you don't. <laughs> now, now, in his reasoning, I know what he meant. I know how to dribble. I get all the, the concepts are there. But what he wasn't seeing is that there's this lifelong people that strive. People, I, mean, I love watching those documentaries about those, those. I'm not huge into sports, but I love those ones about those athletes that just, and they talk about some of the greatest ones spend hours a day practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. Right? So here you are at church on Sunday hearing a gospel message. And you may have heard people here at this church talk about preaching the gospel to yourself. I'm telling you right now, you're never done hearing it. Every day you need to hear it again and again and again because this lifelong process, is it, it's the, the word of the cross, what the cross is all about is not just that. It's everything. And it's, it starts, and it works, and it does things. It changes you radically for the rest of your life. There's not a one of us that has arrived yet. And so we hear the word of the cross. Now, to people who are perishing, this word of the cross is foolishness. But notice, to the ones who are, had been saved, no. What does it say right there? Who are being saved. It's the very power of God. He says a similar thing at the end of 1 Corinthians. And I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. You received it. That's how you're standing. And this is the way you're being saved, right? If. I don't like that if. Do you like that if in there? That must be a typo. Mm -mm. if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. This brings me to the next thing we need to really talk about in this, this middle. See, you can see the stage, right? So if, I, if I'm over here, you know I'm not on it. If I get right here, you know I'm in the middle of it. But here's this weird problem that you have as a human being. Jesus talks about it in his Sermon on the Mount. James talks about it, and that's the one I want to share. There's this weird reality that you can have a person, according to Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, that can believe that they believe, 
and it's not true. That's scary. In fact, Jesus says there will be many people on that day. Matthew chapter 7, there will be many people on that day that he's going to say, they're going to say, hey, did we not do this? And did we not do this? And did we not do this? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. So it's possible for somebody to go, I'm, I mean, there's going to be people that go, here we are, ready for heaven. And he goes, I don't know you. Well, I don't know about you, but I can remember way back when I can remember thinking, there's a lot of things. I hate surprises anyway. Like, don't throw me a surprise birthday party. I'm not going to be happy about it, okay? I'm just telling you right now. Don't. Don't jump out at me and go, surprise. I'm, I might punch you in the face, okay? I don't. I'm not going to like it. And I'm not saying like a surprise punch in the face. I may, I'm just saying like I may just go, that was dumb. You shouldn't have done that and punch you in the face. Not really. I'm joking. <laughs> I don't like surprises. But of all of these, and I want to eliminate the silliness of it, but of all the things that you could say, I do not want to be shocked or surprised by something. This, no. Surely the word of God has something for me to know that I can know that what's happened isn't something that I just think happened. Because we have this problem. Not a single one of you can open up your chest. Now, I know that for those of you who've been here for a long time, I've talked about this a hundred times, but I got some new people that haven't heard this, and I'm going to tell you, this to me is one of the most important things that I ever talk about from the pulpit. How do you know? We live in a nation that were, I can remember when I worked at McLean, every person that was out there would have said they're a Christian. I don't think that's true anymore, but there was a point where everybody talked to you, you're a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian. You believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, of course I do. You know, what are you, stupid? You know, I mean, that, it was just everybody. Here's the thing. If it's true that somebody can think that they believe in, it's not true. It's not real. There's nothing that's really happened. I don't want that to happen. I also don't want people that have come into this church to ever walk away and not hear that I've addressed this issue. And I also need to get back to Luke because what does all this have to do with Luke? James. And we're going to get to this in our study on James, so I'm going to give you a a teaser or a taste, but... uh, I think this is so important. James really nails it. And this was the passage of Scripture that changed my life. Um, I normally start with verse 14. What is the prophet? What good does it do if a man says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? But he gets down to verse 17, and he says this. And I want you to just wrestle or wallow in the logic of this for a moment, could you? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, James says. Okay? Now we know that it's not the works that saves. Paul's made that clear. When he's dealing with what it is that actually saves a person, it's not the works that does it. But, but James is coming at it from a completely different perspective, and he's saying there's something else we really need to talk about. This whole works thing is still a relevant topic. What does it mean, and what role does it play? And then verse 18, and this is the one I want you to wallow in, the logic of this. Someone will say, now you have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, think about it. The first part of that, show me your faith apart from your works, can you do that? Can you do that? Can you show somebody your faith apart from how you're living and what you're doing? Can You, you can't. 
can you? You see the logic of it? Okay, he said, show me, show me your faith apart from your work. In other words, you can't, you can't actually do that. You can't, as I've said a hundred times, you can't go, oh, there it is. See, I got faith, right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You can't do it. How can, so how do you know it's there? Ah, James is hitting on it. That's the role that works plays. What you do displays what you actually believe. Not just in theory, not just theologically. It's true with you every single day. What you think and believe up here is what determines what you do. I believe when I go to work and face unruly children that I will get a paycheck. I believe it. And so I go there because I love kids. Yes, but also because they're going to give me a paycheck. I believe it. My belief plays a part in what I do. It's true exponentially so with your faith in God. What you believe will be demonstrated in what you do, and that's what James is talking about. And so then he makes the illustration in a way that Right is so, so very valuable. He goes back a step. He says, you believe that God is one. Give yourself a pat on the back. Even the demons believe and shudder. So if you were banking on, okay, I think my salvation thing is just believing in existence. No. This belief thing must be something else. Do you want to be shown... I don't know if James had to get this mean about it, but he did. <laughs> Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You want to be shown that? Was not Abraham our father? Now, you may remember I just read something from James earlier, or from Romans earlier, where Paul said Abraham was justified. But what, a, what Paul is talking about with Abraham is that in God's economy, he was declared righteous before God by his faith and his faith alone. James is talking about out here, how do you know that that righteous act really took place? How is someone declared righteous in this world that we live in with people who have human being eyes? How? By what you do. Abraham, our father, was justified by works. How did that happen? He offered his son Isaac up on the altar. God said, hey, go do this, and he did it. He believed God, and then he did what God told him to do. The same is true with you. Most people, the problem is not that you don't know what God wants you to do. The problem is you don't believe it. Right? You believe something else will bring you satisfaction. You believe something else will bring you... Whatever it is that you want, you believe that's going to bring... But the people who believe God do what God says. So when God has commands in his words about don't do this and do this and don't do this and you should do this... You're not doing it because you're trying to earn your salvation. A genuine Christian says, I'm doing it because I just, I believe him. I trust him. And so then you can look at your life and go, man, I, I believe that I'm saved because I, I can see this obedience being worked out in me. God's working in me. I'm working, he's working, and it's being worked out. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses up on the church door, and his very first one was this. 
When our Lord Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. It's not a once and done. It's all your life. The word repentance means a changing of your mind. Your mind is constant. You're constantly from the time that you get saved to the time that you die. It's a walk. It's a life of repentance. David Mathis talking about this says this, all of the Christian life is repentance, turning from sin and trusting the good news that Jesus saves sinners aren't merely a one-time inaugural experience, but the daily substance of Christianity. The gospel is for every day and every moment. Repentance is to be the Christian's continual posture. Now, here we are, back to Luke. You ready for the connection? Jesus has been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been talking, and he gets to the end, and you're going to hear he's going to call for a response. And the reason why I thought, hey, let's go into this is because it's easy to think in your mind, I've made the response, what good is it? No, every time you hear the word of God, there's an opportunity for God to reveal something else you need to grow in or change in or become more like him in, right? There's not a one of us in here, if I talk about a response, there's not a one of us in here that is absolutely free of anything that you may need to repent of today. And so it requires some thought at this point. Listen to what he says. Luke chapter 12, verse 54. He's been talking to them and he says this. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And for them, the wet, to the west of them was the Mediterranean Sea, and so if there was moisture coming up off the sea, it would have caused these clouds, and this is exactly, there's not a person in there that lived at that time period that would have not known what he was talking about. That's how we deter, you know, this is what it looks like. Because clouds coming in the west, we're going to have some rain today. When you see the south wind blowing up off that, des that desert down south of where Palestine was. You have to ask Paul about it. I'm sure he's been there. <laughs> you said there's going to be a scorching heat. They knew it. South wind, it's going to be hot. Scorching heat. And it happens. And Jesus says this. You. Now, if you're wondering if that's harsh, it is. You hypocrites. Jesus tells them. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time right now in front of them? You can look at the weather and figure that one out, but you can't do this is what he's saying. You bunch of fakes, you hypocrites. You're playing a role. That's what the word hypocrite is, an actor. You're, playing, you're just playing at this whole thing. Darrell Bach says this. He says, how is it that they can discern the weather but not recognize what God is doing in their midst? I'm taking you somewhere. I hope that you come there with me. Jesus has provided much evidence of God's activity. The people have not responded well and as a result have left themselves in jeopardy. They, in that moment, something was happening in front of them with those Pharisees, with the people. Jesus was presenting reality in front of them and he's talking to them, he's preaching, he's sharing the truth Something's happening. There's all the, in fact, one of the other uh, plays, when Matthew shares this story, it's in context of somebody asking for a sign. Oh, did you give us a sign? He says, you don't need a sign, you hypocrites. He said, I, I've done everything that you need to do. The only sign you're going to get is the one that's coming when I go and I'm uh, crucified on the cross. I'm dared and buried and I come back. Sign of, the son, sign of Jonah. 
right? That's it. That's all you're going to get from this point. But here's the thing. They were missing the presentation that was coming down before them. And Jesus, Philip Reichen says, Jesus was not content to leave things there, but pressed his listeners to make a decision. He had come to cast fire on the earth. We just read about that, the fire of judgment. He had a baptism to endure, the baptism of the cross. He just talked about that early in Luke. His work as Savior and Judge would cause division that would cut right down the center of the human race. Which side will you be on? This was the question that confronted the crowd, that confronts everyone. We are either with Jesus or against him. When the fire falls, we will either be refined or else destroyed. Either we trust in Christ and his cross or else we ignore him and reject him. We either with the people of God or against them. There's no middle ground. Some might say, I don't think I have a blank slide for this. Some might say with this passage, well, yeah, look at the times. Can't you tell what's going on? Right? And they start pinpointing things in the news. Oh, this thing that's going on in war in Ukraine. Is, and I don't even want to guess what people say about it because I don't, I don't follow all that. But the odds Gog and Magog or something. I don't know. I don't know what they're saying. They're pinpointing that and thinking they've got that figured out. And they're completely ignoring the fact that every Sunday God is saying, you got an anger issue that needs to be dealt with and repented of. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. This is not meant to be a, oh, look at the news and figure out the time. Can't you determine the time? No, Jesus is talking to them about the fact that right in front of them, the very God in the flesh is preaching to them, and they're not repenting. Oh, what about this thing that happened? what, What about you? Oh, so worked up over how the state of the schools are going. What about your own pride? Have you dealt with that before God? Those that are in this room that are arrogant or self-sufficient. I don't need God daily. Those that ignore him. Those who are just ungrateful. We ought to be thanking him daily for all that he's done. And some of us just walk through life giving ourselves pat on the back. Every success you've had, you're like, look at me. There are heinous things that we are doing. And if you're sitting here today and you hear these things and you go, yeah. But you can't figure out that God is working on you right now, then you're, exact, you're the foolish people he's talking about. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right, he says. Let me give you a little mental picture. Um, You get on a road. You're driving somewhere. Let's say you're not the driver. Let's say you're sitting in the passenger seat or let's say you're a backseat driver and you're riding along. Now, at first, it seems like you may be going, say you Ubered something. You're like, okay, take me to this place, and you're going along. Or maybe you are the driver, and you put it, what you thought was the right thing. Remember the, I'm going to say Garmin. That just made me sound old, didn't it? Uh, the, you, know, you got your phone going with you know, the map, and it's uh, turn-by-turn directions, and you're sitting there. And maybe you plugged it all in in advance. I mean, from, from, from this perspective, well, it looks like I'm going the right way. Right? 
There's some turns that need to happen. There's some things that need to change as you're going through. There's all kinds of things. From that bigger perspective, God knows exactly how to get you to that spot. He's working all those things out. But have you ever had that moment where you're like, and sometimes, sometimes it's, sometimes it's the you're like, I, I think for sure I got to go this way, but the thing is telling you to go to a different direction. Well, what about this one? Have you ever done something where you're like, you're following the directions on there, and you're like, turn right, and you're like, okay, turn left, okay, and you're just, follow, and after a while you're like, something's not right here. I should have been there by now. You ever had that happen? Yeah, yeah. It's like the direct, whether it's you plug something in incorrectly. We had some people that were trying to find Edgewood one time, and they plugged in Edgewood, but it brought up the old building, and they are like, made it over there, and they're like, this does not look like the right place. <laughs> Where is everybody? I don't see Pastor Matt. Um, and, and you go, you ever have some, this is what Sunday ought to be like sometimes. You come in here, and God's saying, you might think you're headed the right way, but you ought to, as you sit here and you listen week by week by week to the Word of God being preached, or when you're on your own and you're reading the Word of God for yourself, or you're listening to sermon, whatever the case may be, there ought to be some course corrections that are happening because I tell you, every single one of us needs that walk, daily walk of repentance. And sometimes you have to go, wait a minute, something's off here. I thought my destination was headed the right way. And so I'm telling you, every single person in this room, I, in fact, I want you to think now as we wrap this up, because what Jesus does next right here with this passage is this. He says, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Now, I want you to understand that the point of this parable is this. This, who, this situation, this story is about a person who's, who's going to face judgment. Now, there's sometimes you may go, I need, I'm going all the way because I can, I'm going to win this case. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to win any cases with God. He's right. You're wrong. Okay? And you cannot escape his jurisdiction. And Jesus is talking about the fact that you can, there, there's a wisdom in saying, the moment you realize, I know I'm going to face it, it's stupidity to say, I'm, I'm going to go there anyway. I'm just going to face it. What Jesus is talking about, it, there's a wisdom in when you recognize, wow, I'm... I mean, you understand that what God is doing for you today is this right here. He's saying, there's a deal I got for you. I take your sinfulness on myself, and I give you my righteousness. But the daily walk of this is going to look like this faith that puts you into this, that guarantees this, that demonstrates this. This faith is all about repenting daily. So ask yourself. See, this is tough, I know, because I'm not talking about the specific things, but maybe you have to think back. Maybe this could lay the groundwork for where we go next in Luke. There's going to be something that's going to come up. What ought you to be repenting of? Not what's the problem with the world. I get it. You can read the signs. You, it's cloudy. This is going to, well, this is going on here. Forget all that for a minute. You and God. What is he calling on you to be repentant of this week? Where do you need to grow? What needs to change? Not in this other person. Not in the person beside you. Don't be sitting here thinking right now, oh, I've, I got to get a recording of this and give it to so-and-so. You know, Don't do that. It, 
See, because all those versions of that is the same thing. That's what he's addressing. Do you see that in this text? He's addressing the person that goes, yeah, cloudy. And Jesus going, that's not what I'm, t- I'm talking to you. Talking to you. How ought you to be repentant today? Don't wait. That's how he ends it up. I hesitated going down this path because I didn't want to be that, oh, I don't want to pressure, I don't want to do that emotional thing. But honestly, this is what Jesus does right here. He says, don't wait. Don't wait. If you recognize God pressing on your heart right now, don't wait any longer. Repent. But I'm already a Christian. Good. That Repent. And repent, and repent, and repent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, God, for your word, and I thank you for this passage from Luke. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that while you were here on this earth, you were so direct and called people right in the middle of their stubbornness and their pride and their arrogance. And Lord, calling these people also calls us in the middle of wherever we're at. Help us not to be ones that can read all the signs but miss the point. I'm going to say that again, Lord. Help us not to be the ones that read all the signs and miss the point. Lord, speak to us today. Lord, I would even ask you right now as I'm speaking that your spirit would press upon our hearts individually what needs to be repented of, what lust needs to be repented of, what laziness needs to be repented of, what arrogance needs to be repented of, what self-sufficiency needs to be repented of, what pride needs to be repented of. Lord, show us those things and help us to walk in that grace that you've given us. I pray this now in Christ's name, amen.